Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. And just like that, we're back here for hour number two. The quick turnaround at the top of the hour. Want to make sure we get right back into it, of course, here on the Jeff Dean Show. And whether you're joining us via the AM side at 1490, on the FM channels at 104.9, or if you're listening via the live stream on ESPNTucson.com, we do appreciate you and uh, however you happen to be tuning in the show. Also, if you're listening on the podcast, which are now available, uh, just about anywhere you get your podcast, Amazon Music, Audible, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, plenty of places to get the Jeff Dean Show on your podcast, and you can listen at your leisure and uh, fast forward past all the uh, stuff you don't want to hear also, which I can't imagine there's anything that you would want to fast forward through. It's all, it's all uh, important stuff here. Also, I speaking of important stuff, I wanted to make sure that we get it right because I said Charlotte is the only team under the, under the uh, salary cap. It's actually the Memphis Grizzlies, and they are $96,000 underneath the cap. So I was close. 96000 under the cap. Uh, so, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, yeah, don't worry about other people's money. Sons are going to be fine. They're not going to be spending your taxpayers' dollars to pay the players. You know, interestingly enough, before we get in, and you know, not to get you know political or anything here, but you know, Robert Sarver basically had to get on his knees and beg the Phoenix City Council to uh, approve the upgrades to the facility in downtown Phoenix, and they said okay. You know, and he did this in the in the midst of a a decade-long losing streak. I mean, they were the worst team in the NBA for years. Goes to city council like, we need hundreds of millions of dollars to renovate the building. And they approved it. Things have changed since then. He's been a different uh, been a different man, been a different, been a different guy. And obviously the success that we saw this year has been a whole lot of fun. So uh, glad to see that. Let's talk some NFL, shall we? Because we always talk NFL here on the Jeff Dean Show. Every single day we make it a point to talk NFL. Matthew Stafford, who had uh, a thumb injury, hit his thumb on a helmet in a throw in practice the other day. He fully participated in the uh, padded practice for the Rams yesterday. He'll be fine. And, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm watching it closely because obviously not only because they're in the NFC West, but also I think that they're just going to they're gonna torch the league with their passing game. And they're going to have to now without, without a, uh, you know, Cam Akers in the backfield. They're going to have to. Um, about, I don't know, 60 seconds, 90 seconds after we broke yesterday's show, after we signed off, I had mentioned that Quentin Nelson had gotten hurt and that because he's a tough guy and he's an offensive lineman, he's going to be back in the lineup soon because, you know, he is one of the best players in the NFL, period, end of story. There's no discussion. There's no argument about that. He is one of the best overall players in the league. He's ridiculously good and I knew it uh, you know I knew it in college I knew it going into the draft I had him as my number two overall pick in the draft the number two rated player in that draft um, he, he's remarkable then we find out literally seconds after I signed off yesterday that he suffered the exact same injury as quarterback Carson Wentz of the Colts did and he's going to require surgery and he's out five to twelve weeks so things continue to get worse for Indianapolis and if that wasn't even worse, guess who got to a microphone yesterday and started talking? Yes, Philip Rivers took time away from his 13 children to uh, find a, uh, a microphone to speak into. And, 
and decided that he was going to start telling people that he wasn't fully retired and that he could still be making a return to the Colts this season. Said that he has not closed the door on his career, as he told uh, Sam Farmer of the L.A. Times. I guess it wasn't a microphone. Maybe it was a microphone. Maybe it was a digital recording. Anyway, whatever. He said, quote, I'm not predicting I will play in December or January, for that matter. One, you've got to have somebody who wants you, and two, it's got to be right. But I have not completely ruled that out. As it stands right now, Jacob Eason is going to be the starting quarterback for a, look, let's let's call it like it is, even without Quentin Nelson, which is a huge blow for the Indianapolis Colts, and he'll be back at some point in time, you know, before it gets uh, too late in the season, obviously. But uh, the Colts roster is a Super Bowl caliber roster. They are loaded. They are loaded in the backfield. They've got a good receiving core and tight ends. They've got a superior offensive line. They've got an above-average defense. And if they can just get a trigger man to take snaps under center that's going to be reliable and not turn the ball over and know what the hell he's doing, they are a very, very dangerous football team this season. So they brought in Carson Wentz, thought he was going to be the guy. He's hurt again for the seventh time in his career. He's going to miss time. They're going to rely, as it stands right now, on Jacob Eason to be their starting quarterback, who was the fourth-round pick in the draft. And, uh, look, honestly, most people's projections of Jacob Eason was that he could, you know, fire a football through a battleship but would have to hit the battleship first to be able to do that, right? <laughs> so, uh, again, they're going to try to go into go, go to war, essentially, with Jacob Eason as their quarterback. Their backup quarterbacks right now, they just recently signed Brett Hundley, and I love Brett. But, gosh, I don't – yeah, he's not, he's not capable of leading a, a division-winning playoff-caliber team at this stage in his career. Sam Ellinger, of course, tough guy, you know, fun rally behind him, quarterback from Texas, not going to get the job done. And somebody by the name of Jalen Morton. Those are the quarterbacks that they have in camp right now. It's not going to work. Like it's it's not it's not going to do it. But now here comes Philip Rivers. <laughs> he says, "I'm not quite there, but I'm getting back there." He says, "I wouldn't have made weight if I had to report last week. That's for sure. But I'm getting back into the lifting and the running and shoot. You know, because Philip Rivers never curses. I occasionally throw a ball around out here in this heat. It's not too hard to get a good lather going." Philip Rivers said it out there for Frank Reich and the head coach. Jim Irsay, the owner of the Colts, to possibly bring him back. i got to be honest, I don't know. Maybe, look, maybe I'm just having a love affair with Nick Foles because of dealing with him in the past. And literally, and I'm not kidding, folks, one of the absolute nicest people I've ever met in my entire life. Like the nicest person. He's a wildcat, of course. He's got records uh, at, at Arizona this time there. We love Nick Foles, right? We watched him beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl in an improbable win where he caught a touchdown pass in the game. I mean, he was everything in that game. He was the MVP of the game. We love Nick Foles. Why does he get treated like crap from NBA or from NFL GMs? He's got a winning record as a starting quarterback. He has a winning record as a starting quarterback in the league. 
which is more than I can say about any of the other dudes that they got in camp in Indianapolis. And I can tell you this right now, based on what I saw from Phillip Rivers last year, you, you, yeah, you got you to gotta pass. That's a hard pass. If I'm Frank Reich and Jim Irsay, I, that's a hard pass for me. It's a, it's a, it's, that's a no. It's a no for me, dog, says Randy Jackson. I, I just, I don't, like, the asking price couldn't possibly be that steep for Nick Foles, who's currently the third-string quarterback in Chicago. Can we just get a deal done? He said yesterday, two days ago, right? He said Monday. He was interviewed on Monday, Nick Foles was, basically said, I would love to play for Frank Reich again. He's one of my favorite coaches that I've ever played for. He's begging to play. He wants the ball. Give him the ball. He's not going to get one in Chicago. He's a third stringer in Chicago. They may not even carry three quarterbacks this year in Chicago. They got other needs. They got other problems. Give him the ball. Make a trade for him. What are we waiting for? Seriously. Are you afraid? Are you afraid that Nick Foles is going to get on that field and win football games and then when Carson Wentz comes back and he's healthy, they're going to they're gonna Wally Pip him? Like, it's it just, you know, because of injury, they're going to keep him out because Nick Foles performed well? Oh, damn, that sucks. You're winning football games. God, what a horrible trade-off. I, don't, I, I, don't, I know the, the Wally Pip thing. I get it. It's just silly to me. If the guy's better and you're winning games, why would you ever, ever consider bringing back the injured, unproven guy who still hasn't won a game for you? I, I just, I, it, it continues to baffle me. And again, the asking price can't be that much. But you hear, you hear these guys out there, like you know, you watch the the shows on ESPN, and they they mention Nick Foles, and like oh, Nick Foles hasn't been anything in the last three, four years. Blah 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 blah. He has a winning NFL record. What do we what do we look at when we when we're talking about quarterbacks? What do you want from a quarterback if you're an NFL coach? Right? You want competitiveness, toughness, maturity, intelligence. Okay, you want all four of those things. Nick Foles has been nothing but four of those things. All four of those. Nick Foles has always been competitive, even when he considered retiring. He's like, you know what? The competitive juices are still flowing. I want to still go and compete. But he's the damn nicest guy in the world and is willing to take a back seat to people when he feels like, okay, I'm going to listen to the coach. I'm going to take the coach's recommendation on this instead of being that guy like I'm going to push the envelope. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really drive past this guy. Okay? That's the only the only area where he's been a little bit lacking in his competitiveness. But when he gets the ball, shoot, and he, I mean he's out there. To, he's obviously trying to win, and we've seen that how hard the dude plays in the biggest games. He's been huge in big games, huge. You want those four things from your quarterback: competitiveness, intelligence, maturity, toughness. Nick Foles checks off every single one of those boxes. Which, which, which of those boxes does Carson Wentz check off? Competitiveness? Eh. Okay. Sure. I, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give him that one. He hasn't really been on the field a whole lot to prove it, but gosh, yeah, we'll give him this competitiveness. Maturity? I'm not so sure about that. He hasn't really gotten along with any of his offensive coordinators and was basically the malcontent in Philadelphia, and players hated him. So he doesn't check that box. Toughness? I certainly he certainly doesn't check that box. Intelligence, I think I think he's got it between the years. Okay? 
I think he does. I don't want to say he's a he's an unintelligent quarterback. He seems to seems to have enough between the years to keep him successful, keep him from making horrible decisions out there. So he checks two of the four boxes. Also, Nick Foles checks the other box, the most important one. He's a winner. He wins games. He's got a winning record. He's on the positive side of 500 as an NFL starting quarterback. I do not understand what the holdup is from the Indianapolis Colts on this. There was some fights yesterday, and it, it happens. Look, as soon I, – I should have even predicted it on Monday. We should have had a, we should have had a pool going as which team was going to have the first video fight in padded practice because that's what happens. You get in pads, you start hitting people, you're starting to allow to be physical, people start taking exceptions, they're fighting for their lives, they're fighting for money, and they, they get into fist fights in, these, in, in practices. It happens every single year. This is not a surprise. What is a surprise is what happened in New York with their team fight that they had yesterday, which found starting quarterback in the red jersey – Daniel Jones at the bottom of the pile being piled on by a bunch of guys who were swinging and throwing punches at one another. Now, the number one rule, if you've ever been in a, like a round of football practice or you've ever been in one, in a football practice, and a fight breaks out, okay, there's always that rule. And I don't know if, if some coaches speak it. I, I never had a coach actually say this to me, but it was just kind of like there are things you don't do. You never take a fight to the ground, okay? You never go to the ground in a fight if you're fighting amongst teammates or friends, okay? You, just, you, you know, you, you, you throw some slaps, you push somebody, you grab someone by the throat, you shove them, whatever, okay? You never take anybody to the ground. Now, there have been some really violent ones, uh, guys swinging helmets at one another and such. Was that, was that Michael Westbrook back in the day the, for, the, for Washington? I don't remember. But you, you – you never, you never take a fight to the ground. Well, this fight went to the ground. There was a, there was a dog pile, and there were guys in a scrum fighting, throwing punches, biting, gouging, everything you could possibly imagine in this pile. And Daniel Jones is at the bottom of the pile, and head coach Joe Judge have none of it. Joe Judge uh, did not respond well to that, uh, to that fight. He was extremely upset about what happened in Giants camp yesterday. And look, even if you're not an offensive lineman, okay, my job, of course, was to protect my quarterback at all times. I always made sure when a fight broke out, the first thing I did was always look, where's, you know, where's my QB? You know, where, where's, you know, whomever. Whomever was quarterback uh, or whoever was on the field with us at that time, make sure they're safe. Get them out of there, okay? There's a fight going on. Two guys, even if you weren't involved in the fight, I'd go grab the quarterback. You stay over here. <laughs> don't try to get it. Don't try to be the leader right now. Nobody wants to hear your ass, Okay. You just stay over there, shut up, and uh, we're going to handle this. D- don't get involved. <laughs> Daniel Jones got involved, and nobody protected him. They're like, who's this guy in the red jersey? Who cares? Bah, 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 bah. I mean, just going to town. <laughs> Daniel Jones at the bottom of the pile. Joe Judge has got to be freaking out. The franchise sitting there underneath a pile of men throwing punches at each other. What are you doing? Now, the head coach in Detroit, Dan Campbell, who said that he's going to make his players eat kneecaps and stuff in games. That guy's crazy, by the way. Um, <laughs> had a different response to the fight that occurred at Lions Camp yesterday. Now, Lions Camp saw wide receiver. And, look, these are usually the fights that happen. It almost always ha- – when linemen fight with each other, okay, when the fat guys fight, 
it's usually they grab each other by the shoulders and the jersey and they're just going to shove each other stuff. And maybe there's a little chokehold or something. There's a, there's a pie face involved, okay? Um, and I love pie faces. That's like the most disrespectful thing. You just pie face somebody. Get out of my face. You push them. And, you know, then somebody comes and breaks it up, and it's fine. Okay, you all, you're all friends later. You go out for beers and steaks and cigars, whatever. But most of the fight, like most of the fights you see in NFL training camps are the little guys, right? The receivers, the cornerbacks, the safeties. They're the ones always getting in fights. Because, look, things get physical out there on the edge. I'm not going to lie. Those guys play a physical game out there. There's a lot of punching, try, you know, trying to get off the line, especially if you're playing press coverage. Receivers trying to get you, you know, get you off. You got corners that are up there grabbing and, and clawing at you. You get scraped on the neck. I mean, it happens, right? It's, it's physical. First day of pads. These guys have been running around in in uh, shells, just you know, helmets and, and shorts, uh, for the last couple of weeks. And now they're in pads. You get to hit one another, and stuff breaks off. Okay, wide receiver Amon Ross, St. Brown, cornerback Ife Melifonwu, had at it yesterday in in the uh, Lions camp. They exchanged some punches during a special teams drill, of all things, um, which led to a question about uh, the altercation for Dan Campbell following the uh, following the practice yesterday. And his reaction um, was very Dan Campbell-esque. Quote, yeah, I mean, I was fired up because they were competing, man. Uh, it was good to see both of them, two young bucks, go after it. They were uh, – then he's calmed down for a second. He goes, look. We had a pretty good idea, Amon Ra, you know, the sun god, what he's capable of. His aggressiveness shows up. It would show up on tape in college. Look, this guy will mix it up. And there's things you see with Ify, talking about Melifonwu, uh, Ify in school, but I didn't quite know. And to know he's got, hey, man, I'm not your punching bag, that encouraged me. It really did. <laughs> he's calling his wide receivers sun god and uh, expecting them to be the badass sun god or something. I don't know. Dan Campbell's from a cut from a different cloth, man. The Lions are going to be terrible this year, but they're going to be must-see TV. That team is going to lead the league in penalties this year. I would almost guarantee it. Almost guarantee that team's going to lead the league in, in, in penalties this year. Not to say that that's a good thing or fun or interesting to watch, but damn, this dude is <laughs> the sun god out there throwing punches. We expected him to do that. Okay. All right, Coach. Going to happen again today, guaranteed. Somebody's going to get in a fight so they can be, you know, press room headlines for everybody. See who throws punches today in Detroit. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to take a close look at Arizona's football schedule this year. How does it rank compared to the other Pac-12 schools? We'll take a look at some of their biggest games and uh, maybe take a, just a quick projection of maybe some wins and losses. There's just some really important games, some turning point games in the season. That's all coming up here in, uh, in just a few minutes. As long as, there's, as long as no fight breaks out here in my home, um, I, think we'll, I think we'll be okay. With school just around the corner, we want to help you and the student in your life get the supplies that they need to succeed. Here at ESPN Tucson, we're giving you the chance for the next few days to win that $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. Get over to ESPNTucson.com. You can register there, and you can register once per day through August night, so a few days left on that, and win that $1,500 back-to-school shopping spree. More after this, it's the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson.
All right, it is your cue to call. 520-719-1490, 520-719-1490. Your chance to win a pair of tickets to go see FC Tucson take on North Texas SC in a soccer match this Saturday at Keno North Stadium. Gates open at 6, game is at 7. Get ready and uh, watch your uh, watch your FC Tucson take on North Texas SC. So call now, be caller number 3 at 719-1490. That is the phone number to win those tickets. Good luck and uh, enjoy the game. Let's talk about strength of schedule here. First of all, you see these strength of schedules out there, and let me just—I'm just gonna, you know, get on a little soapbox here, as I always do. You see these strength of schedule projections and everything, and I saw one—I saw one the other day, and I'm just like, wait a second, what? That said that Alabama had the second strongest, second strongest strength of schedule. Try to say that five times fast. Good lord, that's a tough one. <laughs> They had the second toughest strength of schedule in the country this year. And my, my response to that is, well, wait a second. Aren't they going to be favored in every single one of those games, probably by double digits? Why does that make it the most difficult schedule in the, in the league, in the country? <laughs> I mean, if you really want to talk about it, Arizona's going to be favored in one game this year, most likely one game. That's the NAU game. Every other game, they will be underdogs. Why doesn't that make Arizona's schedule the toughest schedule in the, in the country? I get it. They're not playing, you know, a bunch of ranked teams and stuff like that. Alabama's going to play a few more tough games. But that's like one of those things, like, 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 okay, like when Giannis, like three years ago, okay, Giannis wins the MVP. LeBron had a, you know, had a season where he was, you know, you know, a little bit off, but he was still fantastic. And then they give Giannis the MVP, and I'm like, who's the best player in the NBA right now? LeBron James. What did they do? They made the playoffs, went to the NBA Finals. Why didn't he win the MVP award? <laughs> like, I don't get it. You give the best player the most valuable player award. Best player in the league gets the most play gets the most valuable player award. His team still did extremely well, but he didn't have the numbers that Giannis had. Alabama is going to be favored by two touchdowns in almost every game they play this year. But the country wants to tell everyone that they have the toughest schedule in the in the in the country. That's just, just stupid to me. Anyway, I digress. Let's take a look at the Arizona Wildcats schedule. Okay. Let's let's really kind of dig into it and just take a just take a good look at what they've got coming up here. BYU September fourth in Las Vegas, neutral site game against a team who was extremely good last year. Right? They went BYU went eleven and one last year. They you know their their only loss uh, was at Coastal Carolina. At Coastal Carolina was a phenomenal game. By the way, we knew that. Coastal Carolina's defense was going to be really, really good. And even though BYU was favored by 10 in that game, it was a close match, 22-17. Coastal Carolina wins that game. But BYU, 11-1, wins over Boise. They beat Boise. They beat the brakes off of, off of the Broncos last year. Beat them by, like, four touchdowns. Beat San Diego State real good. Uh, went to Houston, won a game at Houston. That's always a tough game to play. You know, so – Look, they had they had some tough games. They played at Navy to open the season, beat Navy by fifty points. Okay, they're a good team. Now they're turning around. They're going to have Zach Wilson, of course, a quarterback, and they may even be starting a freshman quarterback, Jacob Conover, this year. They return eleven starters to BYU, but they're, they're going to be a very good team this year. They're still going to be very very good. Um, only four starters on defense are going to be returning, and they are young. 
on defense, which which may help a little bit. When I say young for BYU, I mean that they're sophomores, but they're still 22 years old. Uh, but their offense is, you know, it's going to be going through a bit of a, a bit of a retool. But they do have some really good players. Uh, you know, obviously guys like uh, Nakua, the uh, their wide star wide receiver. Um, they've got Gunnar Romney on the team, who's a pretty good player as well. It's going to be a tough test for Arizona. And look, that is as it stands right now, the biggest game of the season outside of the rivalry game. That's the biggest game of the year for Arizona because all of this off-season stuff that's been going on and all the feel-good stories and all the engagement with the fans and all the bringing back of the alumnus and, and letter winners and all the goodwill that has been done, you go out there and you lay an absolute egg and get bombed by BYU in week number one, all that goes away. Now, I'm not saying you got to go out there and win this football game because I don't think many of us expect uh, a win in that game, okay, and many of the fans at least. I expect Arizona to compete. I expect them to play well, and I obviously I want them to win. It would be great to win that football game. But, look, BYU's a really, really good football team. They've got a great program, and they're going to be good again this year. It's a neutral site game. But, look, as it stands right now, that's the, the biggest game of the year not called the Territorial Cup game. Huge game for Arizona because they have to go out there and prove that they can coach, that they've spent this time in the offseason doing more than tweeting and throwing water balloons at the fans, right? They've, been, they've had to go out there and coach these kids up that they've brought in, show the reasons why they were able to retain all those players who entered the transfer portal who rejoined the team this offseason, and go out there and have a good showing. It's a very, very important game for Arizona. San Diego State, also a huge game for Arizona. San Diego State's going to be really good this year. Okay, Brady Hoke's got himself a good squad coming back. They return 17 starters from a team who was kind of up and down last year. But you can always count on San Diego State to win a Pac-12 game, right? Forever they've been beating Pac-12 teams. You go back to 2016, they beat Cal. You go back to 2017, they won in Tempe as underdogs 30-20. to 20. They beat a ranked ASU team at home the following year. Last year, or uh, two, uh, 2019, sorry, they went to the Rose Bowl and beat UCLA. And then last year, um, they did, they, they played Colorado, right? Didn't they play Colorado last year? They lost. They lost to Colorado. Okay, so for the last five years, they've beaten a Pac-12 team. They are very good. And as I mentioned, they're returning 17 starters from last year's team, including senior quarterback Lucas Johnson, senior running back Greg Bell, and they've got a really good wide receiver in Jordan Bird, and they've got a really experienced offensive line, and their defense is going to be as good as it was last year, which was phenomenal. It's a, it's a good football team, and getting a win – over San Diego State in front of in front of what we're hoping is a crazed crowd at Arizona Stadium on September 11th because look all the again all the hype all the lead up in the off season all the excitement people buying season tickets renewing their season tickets the the Zona Zoo is going to be popping off there's going to be all kinds of crazy stuff and I think Fan Fest will help with some of that as well it's a big it's a big game for Arizona to show out in front of their fans at home First game of the year. First, first time I'm going to get eyeballs, actual live eyeballs on the football team for those that don't travel to Las Vegas for the game against BYU. 
Then they host NAU. You hope that's a win. NAU is going to be improved this year. They should be a pretty good team. Then the conference slate begins, and they, they draw Oregon in Eugene to open the Pac-12 season. That's a rough one. Um, e. <laughs> that's a rough one. But then they get a bye week, okay? Come back, and they host UCLA. Um, obviously, there's you know some feels there with, uh, with UCLA coming to town. You, want to be, you always want to beat UCLA, and you always want to beat teams in your division. UCLA, then they're at Colorado, home Washington, which is another tough game. At USC, they got to go to the Coliseum. Home for the Cal game. That's the homecoming game. That's going to be November 6th. Everybody get your tickets for that. Home for Utah, and then they finish with two straight on the road. Uh, they go up to the Palouse to take on the Cougars of Washington State. And then, of course, the Territorial Cup game in Tempe. That game is scheduled for November 27th. So some big games on the schedule. How tough is this schedule for the Wildcats? Again, y- y- you look at... You look at some of the other schedules out there, you say Stanford, you know, they play Vanderbilt and Notre Dame and uh, Kansas State. Okay, sure, that's a tough non-conference schedule. Colorado plays Texas A&M and Minnesota in the non-con. Um, Washington, uh, Washington plays, uh, they play Michigan, right? Yeah, Washington plays Michigan this year. So, look, there's some, there's some tough non-con games out there. Oregon State's going to play Purdue this year. But why wouldn't you consider Arizona's schedule to be the most difficult schedule in, in the Pac-12? Neutral site game against a team that went 11-1 and last year. A home game against San Diego State, who feasts on the Pac-12 almost every single year. You play an in-state game against NAU, which is, everybody gets one of those games, right? And then you play at Oregon, at USC, at Arizona State. You also have to host Washington Host Utah, who's going to be fantastic this year, and UCLA has got all the talent in the world. They got to put it on the field and see what happens. Oh, not to mention also they got to go to Colorado, who you know could be hit or miss. Who knows? And they got to go all the way up to the Palouse, where nobody wants to go play football. So why wouldn't Arizona's schedule be considered the most difficult schedule in the Pac-12? They're going to be they're going to be favorited in one game this year, the NAU game. That's it. Unless they go on a win streak and somehow go into that Washington State game with, you know, an 8-2 and two record or something like that, which would be unreal, unbelievable, first of all. But, uh, look, they're going to be underdogs in every game that they play. It's the toughest schedule in the Pac-12 because they have to prove themselves against every team they play because every team they play is going to be considered better, more talented than they are and an advantage to win the game. So that's why it's tough to schedule. And I, look, you, you can sit there and break down with the rankings and the power, you know, rankings of, of each of these teams that everybody plays. fact of the matter is Arizona's got the most uphill battle of anybody in this conference. And they're going to have to prove it September 4th, the neutral site game against BYU, a team that was a, a, a touchdown away from being undefeated last year. Congratulations to Eric Leon. Eric Leon is our winner of the – FC Tucson tickets. Congratulations, Eric. Thank you for listening, and uh, good luck. Or not good luck. Thank you, and uh, congratulations on winning those tickets, and enjoy the game uh, at Kino North Stadium this Saturday. You're listening here to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Did anybody see... 
not not the match. I, I mean, I, wrestling. I, I I don't understand wrestling all that much, like the Greco-Roman Olympic-style wrestling. Uh, I never wrestled, even though I was asked a bunch of times by our wrestling coaches, like, you gotta wrestle, because I'm low center of gravity and long arms. I'd be a nightmare, apparently, on the mat, but no, thanks. I've Yeah, I got other things to do. <laughs> but um, if you didn't see the match, hopefully you at least saw the press conference. And if you did, try arguing that Olympics don't matter to these athletes, to these amateur athletes, that the Olympics don't matter, that these games don't matter. Because Tamira Mensah-Stock, who won gold in the women's freestyle wrestling in Tokyo um, about 24 hours ago, just basically emptied her heart and her soul in front of that microphone. She became the first black woman to win Olympic wrestling gold. Not not just U.S. women, the entire world. Okay, Mensa Stock, who was just absolutely in, in absolute tears of joy following her gold medal win, said, quote, these young women are going to see themselves in a number of ways, and they're going to look up there and go, I can do that because I can see myself. Look at this natural hair. Come on. I mean, sure, I brought my puffballs out so they can know you can do it too. She was so full of joy. Uh, she at one point said, I want to go lock myself in a, in a room, in a dark room, and just cry tears of joy because she was just overcome with emotion from her win. She was able to focus on the mat for the amount of time that she needed to win that gold medal, and then she just let it go, man. And that was awesome to see. That is That is powerful stuff. When you see an athlete, uh, a finely tuned, highly focused athlete, just open up and gush the way that she did, is uh, it's it's inspiring and it's awesome, and uh, I'm very very happy for her. That's that's an amazing moment for her, an amazing moment for for women, and for black athletes, of course. Uh, you know, black women in in wrestling and in any kind of other discipline or sport that they uh, that they choose to compete in. So good for Tamira Mensa Stock winning that gold medal. Congratulations, we are proud of you. And bring it on home. The this just in this just happened. Their records can continue to be broken at the at the Olympics in Tokyo, and it's not some of the records that we're familiar with, and it's not by athletes that we're familiar with either. Today, a competitor by the name of Lasha Talakadze, Tal- I probably just butchered that name. From Georgia, not from the state of Georgia, the country of Georgia. He didn't just win. He broke three world records on his way to winning the gold medal in uh, powerlifting. He lifted nearly 1,100 pounds today. 1,100 pounds between the, uh, the snatch and the clean and jerk for a total lift of 1,076 pounds. Holy smokes. Look at this guy. He's a monster. My God, what broke three world records? That's impressive. Uh, there's just there's just nothing to say anymore than that's that's just flat out impressive. Those numbers are ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I don't even want to mention my lifting numbers on this show because it's just embarrassing by comparison. Um, Allison Felix qualified for the 400 meter final in the women's 400 meter final. So congratulations to Allison Phoenix. Uh, she's a mom and. She is going to compete for the gold medal at the Tokyo Olympics in the 400-meter sprint, um, which is which is awesome. 
Uh, the men in the 200-meter uh, dash, 200-meter uh, sprint, take silver and bronze. Canada takes the gold there. Andre DeGrasse um, was a surprise in the in the event, to be honest with you. It takes home the uh, the gold for for Canada, who's having a nice uh, nice Olympic set on the uh, on the track. And also, uh, Team USA baseball gets a dub over the Dominican Republic. They're now three and zero in Olympic uh, competition over the Dominican, and their gold medal hopes are still alive. The men can still win gold in baseball. Um, I believe they're going to have to beat Japan. I think Japan won, so I believe they're going to have to end up beating Japan if they want to uh, want to win that gold medal. Japan's very very good. Of course, they lost to Japan earlier in these games. Um, and also in the uh, on the hard court, U.S. women's basketball, they beat the Australians. Um, looked pretty good doing it, 79-55, a 24-point victory. Basically, the game was over at halftime. This team is really starting to feel it now. We, we talked earlier in the week, it was either Monday or, or last Friday, I don't remember which. They had been pushed by the previous three teams they played. They played Nigeria, they played Japan, and they played France. And all three of those teams kind of pushed the U.S. women's team and the game wasn't over until, you know, essentially zeros on the, on the clock or the last couple of minutes of the game. This game, and against a really good opponent in Australia, of course, uh, a good women's basketball program, they just, they just blitzed them. I mean, they, they, it, was, it was a 21-point game at halftime, uh, and it was essentially over. They'd almost doubled up the Aussies uh, at halftime, looking really good. So the women's basketball team is clicking on all cylinders right now, and we do expect them to go ahead and bring home the gold. But uh, we will see. That was the uh, that was the quarterfinal match. They're going to be playing in the semifinals coming up in a couple of days, and, of course, we'll keep you updated on that um, as women's basketball continues to roll. Speaking of women's basketball, I don't, we don't have a whole lot of time for this right now, but we will make some time for it in the near future because it's something that, that definitely needs to be talked about. And that is the NCAA gender equity report that, uh, that hit essentially public record yesterday. It was a 100-page report, and it detailed things such as inequalities in specifically men's and women's basketball when marketing, promoting, and driving awareness to the women's basketball tournament as opposed to the men's basketball tournament. This has stirred up a lot of emotion in people. It has gotten heated out there as I have read a lot of the things and heard a lot of things that people have had to say. Look, here, here's, the, here's my really quick take on this, and we may, I may try to bring in uh, a guest tomorrow to discuss this a little bit further, maybe someone who's a little bit closer to the situation than I, someone who has felt some of the inequalities between the men's and the women's sports, specifically basketball. Look, Women's basketball is growing in popularity. Obviously, we saw it here locally in Tucson when the women's team not only won the NIT tournament and they were able to continue to host those games because of the fan turnout and the amount of tickets that were being sold and the amount of fan support that, that they had at McHale Center. But then last year, Arizona makes the run to the finals, of course, through the Final Four and into the finals. It was huge. I mean, I went to I went to a bar to watch the game just because I wanted to be with some friends and we congregated and watched the game. And that bar was full of Wildcat fans watching the women's basketball Final Four and the final game, of course, um, against Stanford. If there's money to be made, the NCAA will find a way to exploit that. Up until, I think, the last maybe three, four years, 
there was not money to be made. They recognized that. There wasn't a whole lot of money. There wasn't a whole lot of interest in women's basketball. But recently, there has been an uptick and a resurgence in that. And based on a lot of the eyewitness accounts, the videos and things like that, the pictures that were being posted on Twitter and some of the social medias of the treatment that the women were getting at their host sites for the uh, for the tournament this year and how vast the difference were the differences were between how the women were treated and how the men were being treated it's obvious that something needs to change okay this is amateur athletics this is not professional athletics this is amateur athletics and equality is one of the most important things that we can continue to embrace in the world of amateur athletics i don't care if you don't watch women's basketball okay you can say every, anything that you want about, I don't watch women's basketball. Okay, that's great for you. Then you wouldn't mind not having an opinion on the matter. If you don't watch the game, then why should you have an opinion on it, right? There are a lot of people out there that do watch the game, that do have an opinion, and their opinions are correct. Their, their assessment of the huge difference, the gaping hole of the difference between the men's tournament and the women's tournament is palpable and it's real and it's tangible and it needs to change. Now, how drastic do those changes need to be? Does the NCAA need to ensure that both women and men are playing at the same site? No, I do not believe that's the case because here's the problem with that. There are a lot of people out there like, I'm not watching that sport guy, okay? And that's fine. We don't force you to watch anything. But putting the women's game at the same venue as the men's game would be forcing them to watch it. If you... If you had the final four, the women's final four and the men's final four in Indianapolis, and you had to buy tickets for both, people would be upset. You say, I'm not, I'm, people would say, I'm not sitting through a women's game to watch a men's game. Okay? So fan interest is out the door. There's nothing that says you can't have a like tournament, a similar tournament, at a venue as important and as, as lucrative as the men's tournament. But you don't want to piggyback off of the men. You want to be your own sport, Right? You don't want to piggyback off them because, honestly, the fans of the men's sports would most likely not be in, as engaged for the women's sports. And at least the fall-off would be great. If you want to retain 90% of your viewership, that's not the way to do it. So having it at the same site is, is not going to work. But there are definite changes that need to be made in leadership, staffing, coordination of the planning of the, of the games and the tournaments and a marketing value put on the women's tournament, and it needs to be assessed properly. And if that number comes in lower than expectations, then you need to do something to raise the bar, to meet your expectations and exceed those expectations. Do better, right? That's what we're all trying to do here. When we return... We'll put a big, bright red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Stick around right here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Be sure to join NFL Cover 2 each weekday here on ESPN Tucson, brought to you by Barrio Brewing Company. Barrio Brewing Company is Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing for Arizona. Always delicious over there at the Barrio, and uh, enjoy going down there. I'm going to have to head down there maybe uh, next weekend or something to maybe make a little trip down there to Tucson. Come see hi, some hi, come say hi to some peeps down there and uh, have a few brews at the Barrio Brewing Company, some of the delicious food they have there as well. NFL Cover 2 here 
each weekday on ESPN Tucson. Look, there's a lot of we're going to continue this discussion about the gender equity. I'm going to I'm going to table it for now. We're going to table it for now because I want to bring on somebody who's more of an expert in this, someone who has been close to the situation. I obviously am not a female athlete and therefore I cannot relate to that situation, okay? Uh, but we will find someone who is, and uh, we'll bring them on. I want to get them get their their observations and their opinions on the matter, and uh, so be staying tuned for that. Because look, it's 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 important. These are these are things that are important. Because I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why it's important. Because it's important to a lot of people. That's why it's important. Okay. It may not be important to you. It may not be important to people that are close to you, but it is important to a lot of people, which therefore makes it important. Stop being so myopic and self-important. <laughs> Real quickly, things got a little haywire at Dodger Stadium last night as the Astros came to town. It was most likely the first time the Dodger fans had seen the first pitch of a baseball game, not in a, uh, in a playoff scenario. So uh, at least they got something to draw them out of their homes and their workplaces and their cars and whatever smoke shops and coffee shops to be able to go watch a baseball game and bang some trash cans to ignite the other team. That's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Congratulations to Eric Leon, our winner of our tickets, and of course, thank you to Mary for all her hard work behind the glass. Stay tuned for Spears and Ali today at 3 o'clock, and we'll see you tomorrow morning right here on the Jeff Dean Show at 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.